down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very, very, very first episode of the coverage we are bringing you from this shiny new 10th edition. This this episode may be dropping midweek. I intend to have this out into the ether as soon as possible, recording this on a nice, bright, sunny Wednesday morning, Eastern Standard Time, so it's quite late for me in the other hemisphere. I am joined by uh, the conquering Kansas captain of Art of War, no, it's not Nick. No, it's not Richard. It's the one true king, the boy king, John Lennon. How you doing, mate? Hello, hello. I am doing fantastic, and I am happy to be here. You were the captain, Father of War, yeah? Of course, In case the captain. <laughs> of course, Adam. Was it, was it even a question? What, what's the matter with you? <laughs> How you doing, mate? I'm doing great. So, yeah, just got back from the uh, GW Kansas City Open. Uh, I've uh, mostly caught up on sleep, but I'm not caught up on all of the 10th edition goodness that GW has given us. And that's not actually true. I've read it like seven times each, but I still want to keep reading it seven more times. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm I'm ready. I'm excited. I have not quite read it seven times. And all right, so as I'm sure everybody knows from the title, this is not the comprehensive line-by-line review that we will be doing for indexes, we will be doing for the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The only things we're going to be doing comprehensively in this is probably reading out Weapon types, special USR, special rules, and stratagems. Apart from that, this is your what I need to know about 10th edition episode of the Art of War Download Podcast. Episode 149, if I didn't say so before. If you do not know what we do here, if you are brand new to us, you are joining us just as on the cusp of this shiny new 10th edition. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you find this a informative and rewarding podcast. The modus operandi here is that we can be your one-stop shop for staying current and staying up to date with this ever-evolving game of War. Warhammer 40k. We predominantly review uh, new new rules for the game, so new codexes, new indexes, new missions, new chapter approves, all those things that we get down to the nitty-gritty as well, talk about some stats, do some faction ladders, and everything else therein. We are part of Art of War, and you can find a part two of this podcast over at Art of War Down Under over on Patreon. You can find a full second half, which is going to be myself, and joined by the lovely Tony V, or Anthony Vanilla, as you may know him, from Art of War and Stats check so we'll be answering a bunch of patron questions about subscriber questions if you want to get involved with any of that stuff in addition we've got some really big decisions coming out with the patrons are going to be deciding on when the indexes drop what freaking order are we doing them in the patrons are going to decide whatever they vote upon is the order we're going to be reviewing them and naturally as always i'll be joined by a relevant expert to those factions wherever possible if not a panel of general experts such as john who is a very much a general expert on everything imperium everything god emperor of mankind because he is a good stalwart fellow like myself okay <laughs> preambles Indeed, yep I was just going to say that I'm loyal to every emperor, no matter how many arms I have. <laughs> Consistency. Um, all right, mates. Jumping straight in. Um, 10th edition, man. What do you think so far? Give us your first impressions. Yeah, so first impressions of the core rulebook. Uh, the core rulebook I, I like a lot. I think that the the core book is just a little bit cleaner, a little bit better than uh, 9th edition. I love that they've reintroduced some universal special rules. I love that they've expanded the suite of stratagems that are available in 10th yep. edition. Yep. Um, I think uh, this core rulebook is a really good foundation for what I am hoping will be a very successful edition. Uh, obviously, the health of an edition 
probably relies more on the and tenth uh, edition core rules are a really good starting brick. And that's a really great statement to say because um, even from seventh edition, a lot of people, great exponents of seventh edition, great competitive players and minds of seventh edition, say the actual core rules of seventh edition were kind of fine after like an FAQ or two. They were kind of fine, and it was it's always been the faction rules that have led to the most imbalances portion of the games. And certainly, that was true for ninth edition as well. All right, jumping in. So we are going to be giving you your what you need to know transitioning from ninth to tenth edition. We are accepting here at Art of War Down Under that most likely you are somebody who is informed about this game at some level, and there are so many other mediums that you can go to to get the comprehensive page by page review. That I did not want to waste your time. I want to give you the nitty gritty and have the actual proper discussions and deep dives and ramifications of these changes not to waste your time on minutiae when it doesn't really matter so <clears throat> first up we will be starting this review on page six for anybody who wants to follow us along at home this is unicoherency john what has actually changed yeah so um we're skipping over core concepts because core concepts are exactly what you'd think which is that keywords still exist and units and models still exist okay cool unicoherency uh unicoherency is 95 percent the same before you still have to have your models in an unbroken chain of dudes with, uh, you know, two inches horizontally and five inches vertically between them. And here's the only difference is that uh, in 10th edition, they put this little rule in that if you have a unit of six models or more, you have to basically have every model within a range of two friends. And that has changed very, very slightly to seven from six. So from six to seven. Uh, so it's gone up by one. And I think the reason for that is going to be revealed in the character decisions later. Yes. Well, when you have a five-man that's joined by a character, all of a sudden, if, under the previous engagement, like so the previous coherency, you just downgraded your squad in many ways. <laughs> Unless yes. that character's an absolute baller. Yeah, so they, they just changed that ever so slightly. So now it's a seven-man. So you can think of it as a six-man with no character is good, a five-man with a character is good, a six-man with a character becomes a seven-man, has to follow the, the uh, old six-man uh, coherency. It's very, very similar, and this is this should be a very easy value thing to switch because honestly, every time I've ever seen a player out of coherency, we've just kind of nudged a model around a little bit in the least impactful way. Exactly right. Exact. Um, I would like to also point out there's a lot of Primaris Marine units that come in awkward six, threes and sixes, and this actually benefits them quite a bit. Your aggressors that come in threes and sixes, well, actually, we don't actually know if they do in these in these new indexes, but they were in ninth edition, so there are a couple of units out there that do get a little bit better by this. Like I never took the sixth the sixth blade guard, you know, never. Well, now you will. <laughs> now Maybe. I will. All right, mate. Well, next, really tight on points. Next page. Anything notably here about Waterly models engagement range or um, measuring distance? No, the, the, yeah, no. The next page is really similar. Engagement range is exactly what you'd think. Um, you still cannot end a normal move, advance, fallback, and engagement range. Blah blah blah. Um, it's basically all the same. Um, measuring distances is exactly what you'd expect. Um, and, uh, I'll go ahead and just, uh, uh tell you that, uh, it's still going to be true line of sight on the next page as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, hence, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we can skip here. Um, determining visibility, they do make some little distinctions about, um, uh, the difference between a model being visible and a unit being visible. Does this actually have any decent ramifications on the tabletop? Um, so, so far I haven't really found many. So there's, there's technically four different types of visibility. There's model visible, where, you, where your model can see part of their model. 
Unit visible, your model can see part of their unit. Model fully visible, your model can see an entire model. Unit fully visible, you can see an entire unit. And what that means is uh, the difference between unit fully visible and unit visible is that there's not one guy whose knee pad is being covered by a... <laughs> and so the second a guy's knee pad is covered by a, a, a leaf, the unit would go from unit fully visible to unit visible. Um, there's not really much in here that has relevance. One could only assume that this will either not come up ever, because Games Workshop, or it will come up in like a specific rule, where maybe you pick a enemy visible to you, and some maybe some special rule is pick a unit fully visible. Fully visible, yeah. That's all I can imagine. I'm fully expecting something like that to eventuate at some point. I would like to point out at this point we're going to get ahead of some of these shenanigans that are popping up on the internet. I have had all sorts of diagrams put under my eyes about how this works, that works. There's a bunch of stuff going on right now that is clearly um, questionably rules as intended. And we should all sit tight on those and see what happens. The biggest one being you have a, a model with a very large base or a very large hull sitting not quite entirely on a ruin. And due to that, cannot see the entirety of the opposing unit. Therefore, some people argue that that model cannot shoot, even though it can see a phenomenal amount of models from a unit. Um, that stuff, just sit tight. Don't, don't, don't split hairs over it right now. If it ever comes up in a game, be generous. <laughs> it's, it's the only things I would say. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the end of it that uh, Games Workshop still wants us to use guns in Warhammer 40k. Agreed, agreed. All right, um, I would like to say the sequencing has been set in stone. I know there was some consternation <coughs> I heard early days in Ninth Edition about who's in the driver's seat. If there are two rules that happen at the same time, the person whose turn it is gets to choose the sequencing. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, exactly that. And then, of course, if something happens out of a player turn, so it's before or after the battle, sort of end of a battle round, etc., then the players roll off to decide. Uh, Correct. So that's interesting because there's a little more room to roll off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, we don't have any specific examples of what this would actually mean. Just kind of tucking that away in a folder for later. Exactly right. All right, jumping into the phases. First up, command phase. Starting CP looks to be gone, mate. What does this change? Yeah, so um, uh, they, they do give us the rundown on the battle round of the five phases. And yes, there's only five, as kind of we expected. But there is nothing in the command phase to indicate that you get, uh, that you start with anything besides zero CP. Exactly. So right. you just start at zero, um, unless the you know the the arcs of omen 3.0 that we get in a year <laughs> gives us CP. And we don't yep. have any. Um, so what's interesting here is that this is no longer a mission rule. You just get a command point at the start of your CP. Now, I haven't seen anything to say that we won't get that starting CP if we don't hold our home objective, et cetera, et cetera, on any missions or things. So I'm assuming this is just baked in. Um, but was so basically there's still five, you know, there's still five battle rounds. There's still player turn each battle round. The turn is sequenced exactly as you expect. And you start with the command phase, each player gains CP. So that's 10 CP throughout the game that you gain just like that. That's exactly the same. Nothing has changed there. Uh, what's I think a little more interesting to me is that they've broken down the command phase into two steps, one Correct. command and two battle shock. Yep. And the, the interesting part is that there's a note in, in the first half command resolve any other rules that occur in the command phase. And that's wild to me, is that they just put this rule in command step instead of just in the rule saying in the command step, give a unit full rerolls to hit or whatever you have, your chapter master ability, etc. And now it's, oh, just as in the command phase, will you do all in the command phase right now before Battleshock? So they all must be done before Battleshock is what you're saying, yeah? 
Exactly. Yep. So if you have something yep. that just says in the command phase, that's actually no longer Correct. a nebulous, just throw it anywhere you want in the command phase in any order you want, even after you've done other things, no longer the case. There's now a, if you have it in the command phase, it happens right after both players gain CP. Now, where that is pivotal is that you don't know, let's say you have a bunch of compromised units and you want to chuck a buff on one of them. You don't know if they're going to fail Battleshock and, be, and waste the buff now. Um, so exactly. to speak, you know, they might they might be a good platform for a buff, but then all of a sudden you can't put on the strategy or two you want to use to take them to the the next level to get you over that break point. So that's where it's going to cause some failure points for sure. So definitely needs to be in the front of your minds in that command phase, guys. All right, battle shock. So morale, the morale phase is gone. Uh, long live the morale phase. Uh, may it rest in peace and absolute um, never heard of because it was so so it will not be irrelevant. Dear me, oh my. Um, Battleshock is what we have to replace it. So, um, you, you now have a battle, um, essentially a leadership score on your data sheet, and you need to roll, is it equal or above, or just above? Uh, on equal 2D6. or above. Yep. So you're going to have a leadership score that'll say, I'm leadership 6+. plus. It means you roll two dice, and you want to roll a 6 or higher. Uh, so we're, we're back to leadership being you want to roll high. Yep. It's been a and while, now, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And I, honestly, I don't know if leadership has ever been a you want to roll high, but it is now. Hmm. I seem to remember there was something that we used to run to roll above our leaderships for. But anyway. Um, I think that was when you were doing Ravenous Terror Shades, Adam. Uh, <laughs> I was too. Uh, all right. So this is what replaces this. So wh when do you qualify to have to take one of these tests? Absolutely. So any unit that is below half strength. And... Uh, that is defined um, a little bit earlier, actually. I think we might, might have missed that, actually. But anyone that is below half strength has to take a Battleshock test. Now, there's going to be a lot of random rules in the indexes that say do a Battleshock test out of sequence, etc., whatever. But the default rule is that you only take a Battleshock test in your command phase if you're below half strength. And below half strength is defined... Oh, no, actually, it's defined on the next page. Yeah, so we haven't missed yeah. it. Um, so if you're below half strength, you have to take a Battleshock test. Roll 2d6. If it's greater or equal to your leadership, and that's the best leadership in the unit, if you're mis mixed and you have a character, you're good, ignore it. If you fail, you're battle-shocked until the start of your next command phase. And no matter when you fail that battle-shock test, if someone hits you out of sequence, you are. if you fail, you are battle-shocked until the start of your next command phase. So if someone hits you at the end of the opponent's fight phase with a battle-shock and you fail it, you're not going to be battle-shocked for very long, just until your next command phase. And then if relevant, you'll take a new test. If not relevant, you might auto-pass. Because if you're above half strength, but someone gives you an out of sequence, you may just automatically come unbattleshocked and call exactly it day. Right. Yeah. And notably, uh, which I know this is skipping ahead a little bit, battleshock is basically done right before you would check a, like a primary objective, the end of command phase, see how many objectives you hold. So this is a very important time. Absolutely. So the reason of that is because as soon as you fail your battleshock test, your objectives to control, which is the OC. Um, number on your data sheet for whatever units you have gets turned to zero. Now, we have already seen some things like Rumors for Dark Angels, which means you would still retain one of them if you have more than one. Um, so, this is a big deal. In addition, if you fall back, you must take a desperate breakout instead of a regular fallback, which we'll unpack as we get to it a bit later. And then you cannot use stratagems to affect the unit. Now, those first two... Um, so the first one and the last one seem to be the kickers. The desperate breakout one, yeah, if you're, you're under half strength and you're stuck in combat, you are probably screwed and don't mind falling back anyway. So if you're stuck in combat 
then you lose more dudes because you're falling back. You're already falling back from a losing combat. You're going to stay there and die regardless. So I don't think that's a big deal. But the first one and the last one, not being out of your strats and losing all your objective control, this is a big deal for these low leadership, you know, guardsmen, grots, things that we used to leave in our backfield that we were like, ah, if they get there, they instant kill them and it's not a big deal. Or if I have one guy left, I still hold my objectives. That stuff is going to become more, more touch and go, right? Yeah, the the 10th guardsman being the lone survivor running behind a wall to raise a banner and call it a day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> something I love, but Me too. Not, not a guarantee here. All right, uh, moving down from here. Uh, anything else to cover here or we go straight into the movement phase? Um, that is it for the command phase. Um, yeah, that's that's literally it. Beauty. Nice and simple. Um, in the movement phase, straight up, tri-pointing is gone. What I just mentioned before, Desperate Breakout is the new building, yeah? And I'm actually, I'm so sorry, Adam. Uh, we skipped over page 12. Ah, oh, with the, oh yeah, the starting units, starting strength, blowout strength. Of course, because the this, this is actually a big deal. So in previously, you know, if you had a one model unit, you had a rhino, you could never be below starting strength because it was one model and you had to remove a model for it to be below. You, you know what I mean? Um, now you are considered below half strength if... If you are a, a one model multi-wound unit and you are below half of your wound count then you are uh you are below half strength and starting strength is if you're a multi-model unit if you've lost any models if you're a single model unit if you've lost any wounds so a 10 well you know let's say a rhino is like 10 wounds you know that's what it is now a nine wound rhino is below starting strength a four wound rhino is below half strength is this gonna be big uh not often but also yes so we've already seen <laughs> that some rules interact with starting strength. For example, um, the Adeptus Sororitas have a rule where you get plus one to hit if you're below starting strength, which means that if you have three exorcists in the back and a rhino explodes and just, like, you know, I don't know, clips D3, like, mortal wounds onto all of them, suddenly, you know, a, a an exorcist that went from, like, I don't know, 11 to 10 wounds, whatever it is, um, is now like, oh, sweet, I'm plus one to hit. And yes. suddenly that matters a lot. Yeah. So probably won't come up often, but it's important to have these definitions because I think a bunch of random rules. And I'm sure there's going to be some things that are like, oh, I'm better at killing people that are below half strength because yeah. I'm a night lord. Something or like that. Yeah, or you're a Drakari, yeah. whatever. Um, not, uh, t- uh, thank you for bringing that back up. They've got attached units here as well. I don't really feel like we need to explain that. It just says attached units. You count the total number of models in it for below half strength and et cetera, et cetera. So there, there is a couple key things here. Uh, one, it defines what is destroyed. And honestly, if you've played Warhammer before, you know what destroyed means. That part's fine. Yep. But the interesting part is that an attached unit, which all that means is like a leader, aka a character with the leader rule, and a bodyguard unit, aka whatever unit they teamed up with, those are two separate units for the purpose of rules that are triggered when a unit is destroyed. Ah, that, so is, that is big. You have a captain attached to five intercessors and a you know, super Omega death unit, like 10 Terminators, just kills the whole thing in one go, no questions asked, whole unit's dead. It killed two units, not one, which I'm sure some missions will tell you to kill things. I'm sure some rules will say when you lose things. For example, again, sisters. Um, so if you have a character attached to a unit, it's treated as one unit for all rules purposes, except for rules triggered when a unit is destroyed. I like that you picked that up as well, because that's similar to what was in 7th edition, 6th edition as well. Um, you always got the, the kill points for the characters in addition. Um, 
All right, finally moving on to the uh, movement phase. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, no more tri-pointing. Um, one of the first big things that popped out to me, unless there's something else here before that, was that um, your fallback moves and your desperate escapes have fundamentally changed. So You're skipping things. How much, what am I, what, how much am I skipping? Okay, so the, in right, uh, page 13, the, the first step of the movement phase, um, it tells you how to move units. And there's still the same options as before, main stationary, normal move, fallback, advance. All of those are effectively unchanged exactly. in what they are, but each time you move a unit, you can move your models through any friendly models. Except so if, if they're monsters or, or monsters or vehicles, yeah? Except if you're both monsters or vehicles. So, a Rhino cannot move through a Redemptor Dreadnought, but a Tactical Marine can move through a Redemptor Dreadnought or a Rhino. A Rhino can be moved through a Tactical Marine. So... It's it's the yeah so it's you can be moved over friendly models as if they were not there you just can't end on top of the only exception is when moving a monster or vehicle cannot be moved over other friendly monster vehicles and that is quite big especially for the flexibility I mean man I'm just a, so much easier I've been playing some mates who were trying to play Admech for a while and they were playing like trying to make Cataphrons good and they would deploy their army and then you would just like get in the way just a little. <laughs> And their their whole game plan is just dead. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to see a little bit less of that in the game because it didn't make any sense. Like, sure, there, there should be some log jam, but they people move past each other. Have you ever seen? Yeah, like I'll get out of the way if my bro's driving a tank. Don't worry. Hundred percent. You will just get out of the way. He's gonna he's gonna honk the horn and make you. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's totally reasonable to just get out of the freaking way of the tanks. Anyway, um, anything else yes, before we jump to the fullbacks? Nope. All other moves are the same. Uh, you still can't advance and shoot. Still can't advance and charge. Everything is exactly what you'd expect. Fallback moves have some changes. All right. So, uh, fallback. You, of course, you can fallback your movement value. If you cannot fallback, if you are tri-pointed, you now have a desperate escape test. And that works very similar to how it works now, yeah? If you were to spend the same yeah, so it, It's very similar to how it would work now, where... A fallback, uh, well, except it's no longer um, you model by model. It's now, or sorry, it's no longer every model. It's now model by model. So a desperate escape test is taken for every model that has to move over a an enemy model when it falls back. So basically, um, when you make a fallback move, you can move over enemy models always instead of just when you use a stratagem that no longer exists. Now, if you have to, let's say you have five intercessors, two of them are tri-pointed, two of them fall back over an enemy model, only two guys take a desperate escape test Correct. instead of all five. So it's and, a little bit better in that regards. Yep. And as it is now, um, is on a one or a two, they're dead. They are removed from play. And if you can't that's be placed that. after your max... Sorry? That's actually not as it is now. What, am I, think, what am I thinking of? Am I thinking of emergency disembark? You're thinking of emergency disembark. Ah, apologies. Um, already already getting them blended, mate. But, um, I know. And if you can't be placed after moving your maximum move, you are just Canada's destroyed. Um, so yeah. I actually, I don't, I don't actually see that. I believe I read it. Each time it takes it, I, I believe that if it cannot end it, so what it says is that it does not. Uh, let's see, if that is not possible, that unit cannot fall back. So I believe oh. that if you can engineer a scenario, let's say you have a, a, um, a, an ability to degrade someone's movement. Let's say someone's Blightlord Terminator. I think they've already showed us that those move four gets hit by a barb gaunt that makes it minus two move and now moves two inches. If you wrap it two inches deep and it can't fall back, it can't just choose to die. 
it can't fall back. This is good. This is a good discussion because this brings back the jank. So you can still try point people according to these. You can absolutely still try point people. You just have to be a little more thorough with it. You have to double and triple. Could involve, you, could, you could double wrap them. You could triple wrap them. Just pre-measure their movement characteristic and put an entire big hug on them. Man. If you can pull it off. I, I, have, I have read this too many times because I swear I read that in here somewhere. Where it's um, if you can't be placed after moving your full movement, the, the, uh, and and you made a desperate escape, you are just removed. But yeah, it's not there, so maybe just made it up. Yep, there and the, you go. And the other thing to note here is uh, just to tie it back into Battle Shock. So you do lose models twice as often as before, but not every model has to be tested. However, if you have failed Battle Shock and fall back, everyone has to take a desperate escape test, not just the models falling back. So now, if you're Battle Shocked and five intercessors fall back then all five have to roll that dice on a one or two they lose. So at that point, a battle-shocked fallback is worse than an old desperate escape test. Correct. And that's that's if you, even if you're not tri-pointed, if you're not double-triple-wrapped or whatever. If you just fail your battle-shock and you want to fall back, well, you know, <clears throat> you got a, a one-third chance or a little over a one-third chance of uh, losing some guys. All right, uh, moving over terrain and flying can actually, moves. Can I actually insert one other thing here? For sure. Which is that um, Desperate Escape no longer prevents you from doing other things when you fall back. So before, there's obviously, there's still the generic rule. If you fall back, you can't shoot and charge. But Desperate Escape used to say, if you have to Desperate Escape to fall back, there's no scenario. You can't use any rules to do anything when you fall back, shoot and charge. So like, honestly, I would like try point Ultramarines and say, haha, you have to fall back and shoot. Just kidding. You Desperate Escape. Now you can't shoot even though you fall back. Yeah. That is gone. So if you fall back, if you have a rule to fall back and do something which, you know, surely some of that will exist, a Desperate Escape won't stop you from getting to use those rules. Nice. It removes one more stacking layer, which I think is nice. Yeah. Um, Anything to mention on the moving over terrain or the flying rules? They all seem pretty straight up and down. Oh, I'm about to rant entirely. Uh, Oh, you mean about the fly one moving through the air? Uh, Yeah, moving... moving, uh, This one's complicated. I feel like this one's going to get addressed soon. <laughs> yeah, go for it, mate. Okay, so fly uh, in the movement phase. Uh, so moving moving over terrain is very similar to what it was, which is that uh, the only difference is that it used to be that you ignored terrain that was one inch tall or less. Yep. Now you ignore terrain that is two, two inch. inches tall or less, yeah. which is good because nothing was ever an inch tall. Dude, it was... It, Everything was always so, like an inch and a half. So frustrating to look at like one of those Promethean pipes that they're using and being like... Well, it's two and a bit up. It's kind of one and a bit over and two and a bit down, and I'm half an inch away from it. I'm like, I can't clear this pipe. <laughs> it was so stupid. Anyway. Permanently just got no parkour. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, moving over terrain without fly is exactly what you'd expect. Uh, so if it's more than two inches tall, you measure up. And then other than that, you measure over. It, it's what you think. Uh, but fly has changed significantly. You ready for me to take it? Uh, I, I, dude, yeah, pontificate. Yeah. It it looks it looks straightforward to me, but I can see where the, you go for it. You explain. All right, I'll, I'll I'll point out the part of this that's a little bit silly. So, um, first up, if a model can fly, it makes a normal advance or fallback move. It can be moved over enemy models as if they were not there. Blah blah blah. blah. It can be moved in engagement range as long as it doesn't end there, etc. So, fly all good. It also means that it, a monster or vehicle that can fly can be moved over friendly monsters and vehicles. So, a flying Hive Tyrant can move over Carnifex still, yep. which is what you think. Makes sense. Flying over models is basically identical, as far as I can tell, to previous editions. Terrain, though, not identical. 
So this is one that I'm going to read word for word from the core rulebook because honestly, I'm not even sure if I have it right. When a model that can fly starts or ends a move on a terrain feature, instead of measuring the path it has moved across the battlefield, you instead measure its path through the air as shown in the diagram below. The diagram below just shows a Tyranid Prime with wings flying diagonally through the air to land on top of a ruin. And I honestly think it's pretty self-explanatory to move a flying model on or off of a terrain feature. However, as near as I can tell, if you neither start nor end a move on a terrain feature, I don't think you get to use fly. If you start your move an inch away from a ruin and you want to fly over it, I think you move like you don't have wings. Because you're not starting or ending on a piece of terrain. So they've they've clearly defined this as you believe as only interacting with terrain. Yeah. And now there's there's every possibility that the designer's commentary or day one FAQ adds a half like three words to make this work in one of five different ways. Yeah. Um because you know the question is if I fly onto her own and then off, am I making two like let's you know, let's say a unit moves twelve and flies. Could I do a six-inch move on top of a ruin and then a six-inch move off of the ruin? And yeah. you say, oh, I just did yeah. two smaller rooms. But then, like, there's nothing in the rules to say that you can make two moves equal to the move yeah. of move characteristic. It's just usually how we measure things. And it's not actually, I make a move, I stop the move. I make a yeah. move, I stop the move. This is already, already feeling silly. <laughs> it's, a little bit, it's a little bit silly. So I think yeah. we just have to wait for a little clarity on this one. Um, but as it is, as it's written right now, Fly is very useful for moving over models and is significantly worse at how it interacts with terrain. And I think that's okay. Fly has been a very dominant keyword oh. in the rule for a while, but it, it probably should get clarified a Mate, little bit. Top three keywords of all time. Yeah. Uh, the only contender, the only one that... So, I'd, say, I'd say second best keyword of all time. Are you think infantry is better? Or? Oh, no, no, no. I think it's better than infantry. I think the only, rule, the only keyword with better rules than fly is Eldari. Bang, bang. I love it. We got him. We got him. We We did it. Uh, All right. Into reinforcements, mate. Is there anything uh, different about this? Actually, the the reserve rules actually rock up later. This is just telling you that you can have reserves. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the reinforcement step is exactly what you'd expect. Um, There's no limit here about arriving turn one, five, four, three, et cetera. All it does is say, follow the rules of how you got put in reserves. Basically, reinforcements is a state. You arrive from reinforcements in the reinforcement step of the movement phase, which is the exact same timing as it is right now. Uh, but yeah, this doesn't tell you how to get there. That'll come up later and even says, like, for example, deep strike on page 39, but we are currently on page 16. So, um, yeah, good, good job, Jada, putting the rules in, in, putting them in two we'll places. All right, up to transports. Of course, transport capacity hasn't changed. Firing deck is new, but also old, because firing deck, essentially letting things embarked in vehicles, shooting out top hatches and side hatches and stuff, has been in the game for as long as I played it up until 8th edition. It kind of disappeared in 8th edition, and now it's making a return. Every vehicle that has a firing deck will have it denoted in an X next to the firing deck of how many models embarked can shoot out. And, um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool to see it back. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some Chimera drive-bys. And the, the one thing of interest here, because um, this, this does work how you'd expect, but it's that each time the transport shoots, it gets to steal weapons from guys inside. Correct. Not a separate activation. So no longer are we, I'm going to shoot a Venom, now I'm yep. going to shoot the Catalytes, and it's two yep. different activations, because the worst is when you would go back. You'd shoot a Venom, go shoot a Ravager, 
and then you'd be like, well, I never shot the guys inside Died. of Venom. Let me go back yeah. to the model that looks like yep. I already shot. Yep. It also means that a transport benefiting from a rule is going to get those rules for all the guns inside. So, yeah, so, no, it's double-edged sword, right? Because the guys inside are count as being on the board, so therefore can't really get any meaningful buffs. But the, the tank can. Yeah, so like if, if the, and I'll, I'll use old rules because I don't really know what they're all going to do. But let's say you have a captain giving reroll ones to a, to a, you know, to a rhino. Well, that doesn't help the guys inside. They're not in six of the captain, but the rhino is, and the rhino now is armed with the multi melter that the tactical squad inside is carrying. So now that would theoretically reroll ones if that was still a roll. Uh, only thing to note here is that I believe that means if you shoot with a hazardous weapon, which we'll get to in a minute, which is the new gets hot rule and you overcharge and you fail it, the tank takes three mortal wounds, right? Yep, the tank would be the one taking the damage. The Hellblaster inside the Impulsor is not, he's not overcharged with a gun, the tank is. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so uh, obvious. Uh, um, there are some differences to disembarking now, pretty similar in line to how they've changed um, Desperate Breakout for being a stratagem into one of the core rules. Um, Emergency Disembark has been rolled into a core rule as well. Am I jumping ahead here, mate, or is there anything between these you two? You are. There's, there's something to note in Disembark, just the nice. generic Disembark, not yep. the, your, your tank dies. So you can now disembark from a vehicle after the vehicle has made a normal move. Correct. Uh, I did have that in here as well. I just I forgot about it and skipped ahead in my brain. Uh, so this is big, though. This is really big. You can't make any more moves, or you, and it says you can't charge afterwards unless, you know, probably there'll be a, someone will be able to charge after it. Land Raider Crusader, I'm looking at you. I think of one. <laughs> and, but you will get to have your three-inch disembark, which is still the same, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're... Your three-inch disembark is exactly what you'd expect. Set it up so it's holding three inches of the transport. Your embark is, uh, funny enough, is now within three inches of a transport, not wholly within. Wholly within, yep. So every model ends within three, so you no longer have to be literally every part of your base, just now some of your base. So it's slightly easier to get into transport. It's the same to get out, but now you can get out of a transport after it has moved. If you get out of a transport before it moves, it's exactly like eighth. You get to move, advance, shoot charge, whatever the heck you want. Um, you'll always count as having made normal moves. So you can't choose to remain stationary, but whatever. And then, of course, if the if the rhino moves and then you get out, you basically disembark and stop. Correct. And it's still farther than you might have gone if you had just walked, so it could still be beneficial. Yep, totally agree. I think there's going to be... I mean, as a guard player, I see myself slinging around 10 mans in Toro. The, cheap, the cheapest 10 guys I can chuck in a, the cheapest transport possible and just try and mess with people's primary with them. Um, Seems like a good plan. Uh, all right, so destroyed transports. If for some reason you cannot disembark normally, as in within three inches upon the disembark, like it is now, if someone has you know double rapture, or whatever, you get to get out six inches away. What changed here, mate? Yeah. So the the main changes here is that emergency disembark is no longer a choice you can just decide to make yep. if you have the ability to normal embark. Sometimes we would just you know be like, ooh, my raiders within six inches of five different objectives. What are you going to do? <laughs> Like, where am I going to go? I don't know. It's a pup game. Um, now it's, if you have the option to get out within three, you have to do that. You can only emergency disembark if that's not possible to fit your entire unit in. Also, uh, the way you take damage after getting out of a dead transport has changed. Um, essentially, you roll a dice for every model that disembarked from it, and for on a one, that model's unit suffers one mortal wound. So there's a couple things on back here. One, it's a mortal wound, not a dead a model. dead model. It's Great. much better. Or custodies, or terminators. Yep, it's about the same for guardsmen and, and witches. Um, but the other thing is, and this again is a little interesting, is that you now roll for each model in a unit, essentially. So let's say you have two five mans. 
you no longer roll 10 dice and put all of the dead guys on the one, one side. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you've got five incubi and five witches, again, to give an example, you would roll five dice for the incubi, five dice for the witches. Yep. So it's a little bit different in a couple different ways, but it's still fundamentally the same. And it's roll a dice on a one, it's bad. But now if you emergency disembark on a one, two, or three, it's bad. It can still, like, I mean, it is arguably, like, much worse for the single wound models on the emergency disembark. I think think it's much harsher on single wound models, much better for multi-wound models. Oh, oh my God. Every every dead Terminator, like, just stings. Brother, now it's even hard to lose one. <laughs> Every, everyone has been done bad in this edition, but well, the ninth edition at least once on an emergency Absolutely. disembark. It's just oof. You know, yeah, the literally rolling like five twos and just yes. being like, oh, I guess I'll leave um the archon by himself. Great, <laughs> man, so rough. Uh, anything else to mention before we move to the shooting phase? Probably where we're going to spend quite a bit of time. Uh, no, I think that sums up essentially how transports have changed. Beautiful. All right. Anything changed in the selecting targets? Uh, All looks pretty simple. Enough. No, I don't no, think so. Not pretty. All right. Lone operative resides here, which is a new special rule you may see on different characters here, there, and everywhere. Unless part of an attached unit, this unit can only be selected as a target of attack if the attacking model is within twelve. So this is pretty powerful, and I'm I'm actually interested to see how judiciously they they put this one out there because I can see this being quite frustrating. Let's let's say Mugen Ra is just an absolute ball and he's got lone operative, and you don't get to shoot him all game he just gets to sit in the same place on an objective poking at you <laughs> you know could be quite frustrating he could be standing in the freaking open yeah it's no longer so this is a rule that a lot of random characters had such as um like the G, the G, like gsc characters like the sanctus yeah. and the saboteur etc and i'm honestly very okay with this because there's some people where i think it just makes sense and they've already shown us some examples of it in the wild yep. for example um like the the loyal primarchs gain loan operative if they're within like three inches of a friend and so I, i'm imagining that the people that are going to get this like base are going to be like your vindicare assassins yes your sanctus. yeah yeah like people who don't have an obvious like friend to attach to um like and that that all seems very fine i'm honestly like super okay with that i also really like that it says unless part of an attached unit which yes. means there's going to be some loan operatives who can choose to join friends but then yep. if they are if they decide to join a friend that that's it i agree i, I i'm a little hesitant on this one because i feel like it could get one that's out, that could get out of hand depending on where they put it but if they if they're pretty reasonable with it i think well, it's just feels reasonable because that means you can yeah. just deep strike on like you it's can't just on. have a loan you can if you have a loan operative sitting in the like if there's a vindicare assassin in someone's deployment zone and there's a whole army in front of it if i don't get to shoot that vindicare i feel like that's fair yeah that, that's it, i think that's fair as well yeah. yeah, if there's a Vindicare assassin on the front lines and I can't shoot him, but then I deep strike nine inches away from him and then I get to shoot him, all right, well, that feels like that's on you. Easy done. All right, some big changes here to how monsters and vehicles interact whilst being mostly within engagement range. This is the big guns never tire rule. Do you want to give us the TLDR here? Yeah, most of the shooting phase is the same until you get to big guns never tire. So basically, monsters and vehicles that are eligible to shoot, blah, 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 even if they're in engagement range. Uh, when they do so, they can target one or more enemy units that they're within engagement range of, even if other friendly units are also in range. Yep. And um, uh, if it's an engagement range of one or more enemy units, it uh, subtracts one from that hit roll. Now, I'm, let me reread this one more time, because I'm actually not entirely clear on this. Um, can target one, let's see. 
I don't think that they have to shoot the unit they're in combo with. I do not believe they do. Essentially, okay. it feels like they have got the turret wet, the turret special rule now. Like, yeah, it feels from- like everyone has turret, and now everything except pistols is minus one to hit. So that's taking away from when assault weapons weren't minus one to hit, rapid fire was minus one to hit. Because it used to be only heavy as minus one to hit. Now it's everything is minus one to hit except pistols. Yeah. Um, so just to quickly read this out, monsters of vehicles can shoot and be shot at even while they're in engagement range of enemy units. Each time range attack is made against such a unit, subtract one from the hit roll, unless you're shooting with a pistol. So this is... What, what does this mean on the table? Everyone's already seeing the massive increase well we, we think massive and significant increase in toughness across the board for a lot of vehicles like you know um toughness a toughness nine being the standard load bearer for everything that was toughness six and toughness seven um and then it only goes up from there is this like are we just bearing down the barrel of a of a vehicle monster meta well I, there is the counter here let me let me make sure that i put a little emphasis on the that smaller line that's snuck in and be shot at so you can also select an enemy monster or a vehicle unit with an engagement range of one of your units as a target of range weapon. Correct. But when you do so, unless it's a pistol, you're minus one hit. So if there's a Chaos War Dog that charges in and is getting just wrapped in like 30 Termagants or something, um, you can shoot the War Dog. The War Dog can shoot you. You're just both minus one as long as those Termagants are just wrapping you. Yep. And that is a big deal. I think it is fine. I think it's fine. <laughs> I think it is fine. A lot of people, a lot of people are, are naysaying this is being decrying. This is, you know, the first uh, tickles of a big skew meta, and you know what? It's going to be index hammer. It's going to be big skew meta anyway, baby. Don't don't stress you. Don't you stress yourself. It's not going to be because big guns never tire. It's because there's going to be some busted data sheets people are going to spam. Um, anything yeah, else? Of- accidentally going to make an assault marine seven points, and we'll <laughs> yes. there. Or, a D cannon just do you know, 14 mortal wounds a piece and every turn. I've never heard of that. And, no, me though. What are you talking about? Uh, as, oh. made, as, as long as they're 300 points each, it's fine. Uh, all right. Uh, making attacks anything different here? Uh, you skipped the stealth roll. Oh, of course. It's one of the USRs. So, there you go. Um, stealth is now your generic minus one to hit USR. If you have stealth on your data sheet, you are minus one to hit. Um, Seems pretty. Self-explanatory. Specifically from range for stealth, yep, of course. Only range. Ma- makes sense. All right, next page. I don't know if there's anything here. You tell, maybe tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, nothing really changed with how the hit roll and wound roll um, like functioned. Um, so it's still a cap of plus or minus one on hits or wounds. Uh, that's all basically unchanged. Um, the only thing is that they've introduced language, which is to say that um, a critical hit or critical wound, which is an unmodified six, always is successful. So an unmodified hit roll of a six is called a critical hit, and yep. a critical hit is successful. That means if you have a rule that says, oh, I critical hit on a five, no amount of your ballistic skill six is going to stop you from hitting. Correct. So a critical hit wound always succeeds, and then an unmodified six is counted as that unless you have another rule to say otherwise, which usually would be making it better, not worse. And just so people don't panic, uh, you can never be modified by more than minus or plus one. Um, funnily enough, um, I can't remember if it came up already, but that was one thing I pointed out that it was, they said that for your armor saves as well. Your armor save can never be modified by more than plus one. So you can't get plus two to armor saves. Correct. So, yep. So you, you skip through to allocating attacks. Again, it's exactly what you'd think. Um, and then it's just saving throws. And yeah, you can never get more than plus one to save, but you can get more than minus one, which Correct. is perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't say, oh, well, my 5 of armor save can only be reduced by one. Screw your Volcano Lancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's 
Um, <laughs> but that is that is nice. Um, oh, and vulnerable saves are the same, by the way. But uh, what is nice here is just that if, and I think the way this works is that if you have some random plus one save and you have cover, you don't get plus two to your save. Correct. But if they have AP two and you have plus two to your save, that'll cancel out to a net zero and you just take your save. Yes, I believe that. I believe that that sounds correct to me as well. And All they, right. yeah, they haven't yep. shown us a ton of pluses to save, so we'll see how often this actually comes up. But nice to have a framework. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I, the, the assumption was here where there was the, there was specifically, well, now that we've seen the storm shields don't give plus one save. When I first read this, I was like, okay, so storm shields and cover won't stack, which is one of the thing, things we thought they could use to fix terminators already. So good, so much the better. Um, all right. Into the inflict damage step, pretty much self-explanatory, except we have another couple of our universal special rules. Feel no pain. We won. I've been saying this everywhere, guys. Everyone needs to congratulate themselves, you, sir, and ma'am, and whatever else you may identify as. You are a champion of the community because you won, and we beat them. It took us six years, but Feel No Pain is back, baby. And do you know why? Because we never freaking stopped calling it Feel No Pain. I love that new players joined in 8th and ninth edition, having never experienced Feel No Pain as a freaking universal special rule in previous editions, but 100%. What does the apothecary give? Six up Feel No Pain, baby. <laughs> we did so it. It's, um, yeah, right. So thank goodness. This is one of the things where I'm just so glad that USRs are back. Um, a Feel No Pain is exactly what you'd think. It's a dice roll after you've failed the save to ignore a damage. And damage is allocated the exact same as before. They didn't Sigmar us, so this part of the sequence is literally unchanged. You still hit wound, save, damage, feel no pain as normal. Great. Um, next up is Deadly Demise. You want to continue to tell us about this? Yeah, Deadly Demise is just the um, just the kill a vehicle roll. So the kill a vehicle roll is basically roll a d6 after it uh, has been destroyed, but before any embarked models disembark. On a six, each unit within six inches suffers a number of mortal wounds denoted by the X in the roll. So Deadly Demise 1 is everyone within six inches takes one mortal wound. Correct. Deadly Demise D6 is they take D6. You so make it, one roll for the vehicle, and then you make a, if you roll at six, you do make a different roll for every unit within six inches. Yeah, you don't just get to roll one D3, they all take that that amount, for better or for worse. Uh, this essentially exp- um, gets rid of every explode rule, it replaces every explode rule, every death frenzy rule, or any you know anything like that. You'll just see this slapped onto a lot of data sheets. Okay, um, fast dice rolling, I think it's pretty much exactly the same as it was previously, unless I've, exactly. I've missed something. Nope, 100%. Uh, then we're into weapons abilities. Some of these are very self-explanatory. Some of these need explaining. Assault and rapid fire have not changed to my mind. Um, ignores cover is exactly what you think but it is. Assault has changed. What's, what's changed about assault? You no longer take a minus one to hit penalty when you advance. Oh, of assault. course. You're absolutely correct. So yep. Rapid ass- fire X tells you to increase the uh, number of shots by X within half range. And it's yep. not always double. N- correct. It's not always double. That is, that is good to yeah, point out. But it is... Canon, that it's not always double. It's quite self-explanatory, as is ignores cover. Um, twin linked has been changed to be, instead of just being more shots, more better, or previously, it's gone through its third incarnation. In 6th and 7th, it was re-roll to hit. In 8th and ninth, it was just double the amount of freaking shots that the weapon has. It's just two guns. And now it is re-rolls to wound. It's second, It's sorry, it's third entirely new incarnation. We'll see how this one goes down. Um, What's the next couple? Uh, pistol. Pistol is exactly what you think. You could shoot them while you're in combat yep. uh, into the enemy units that you're in combat with. 
Uh, they're still, ex- still, still exclusive, though. Yeah, you can only shoot the pistol if you want to shoot the pistol. Exactly. If you have a pistol and a bolt gun, you can choose to fire either all pistols or all non-pistol weapons. Beautiful. Uh, Unless to- you're a monster vehicle. Uh, yes, of course. And if you're a monster vehicle, what does that mean? You can shoot with your pistols and everything else? Yeah, you can shoot with your pistol and everything else. Yep, yep. Um, all right, Torrent has replaced uh, what we used to have for auto-hitting. So instead of having to write, this flamer auto-hits, now they just slap Torrent on it, and you can just assume that it all auto-hits. Uh, lethal Hits is each time attack is made with this weapon, a critical hit automatically wounds. So that is a six to hit automatically wounds the target. Lance is plus one to wound on the charge, which is something you can assume will be attached to, like, Virtus Praetors and stuff. Uh, anything I've missed there? Uh, nope, just that uh, I'm just going to rejoice that Lethal hit does not say that that critical hit also counts as a critical wound yay thank goodness and the reason i took all those is to buddy you up for indirect fire mate hand pass excellent indirect fire is mostly what you'd think where you can fire it at people you can't see uh there are now different downsides than previous to indirect fire and that is that instead of being minus one ballistic skill and giving your target plus one save you're now minus one to hit and your target has the benefits of cover now while this theoretically is the same in a complete vacuum how this stacks with other rules is very different because minus one to hit, as we know, does not stack with minus one to hit. Correct. Which means that a ballistic skill three desolator could hit on fives in ninth edition. In 10, a ballistic skill three desolator, assuming they are still such, will take a minus one to hit. And then if you are stealthy and then they lightning fast reflex and then there's a forest or whatever, five different minus ones to hit, they still hit on a four. Doesn't matter. Exactly. And right. if you ignore the benefit of cover, with any indirect weapons, which we've seen at least one of in a preview, then that's half the indirect penalty right there gone. And should that weapon be heavy also? Then you would be plus one hit. You, you help you, still, and that would cancel that out as well. Cancel it all out. It's very surprising that they're like, hey, here's the downsides, and here's a unit doesn't care. It was it was very G-dub of them. Um, next up, we have precision. This is a... I'm actually really excited about precision. I like this keyword. I'm hoping it comes up in relevant ways. But this means that anytime you have this keyword attached to a, a, a unit or a character, when after they've made a success successful wound roll, you can denote whether that wound roll will be allocated to a character inside the squad you are attacking. So what I don't think this this does is let you kill sergeants, however. I think this is only for attached character units, yeah? Leaders? Correct. So if you hit, again, five intercessors with a captain, after you've rolled to wound successfully, you can stop and say, well, the precision attacks are going to go into yep. the character. Yep. And because I'm the allocating player, I can make them take those first, yeah, and see how the rest, or vice yep. versa. So it can, I, I like this rule a lot. I think it's going to be a very interesting it one. Is a very quick, cute note that has to be made here. Yep. You can choose to allocate it to a visible character. So that means that if your Vindicator sniper can see yep. an, a, an intercessor, but not the captain, he can't snipe the captain. Correct. And that's fair and logical and totally fine. But there's a fun thing here, which is that precision is, works in both shooting and melee. And that means that you have to actually... It doesn't matter how far he is. Oh my god, you are right. Let's, let's say... Uh, let's just pull something out of the air here. Something that I don't know about. And let's just assume that a Hive Tyrant can join a Tyrant Guard. I'm just going to guess. If that's the case, and I go charge a Tyrant Guard unit, and I am 12 inches away from that Hive Tyrant, I can precision him if I can see him. But if I can't see him in combat, I uh, cannot precision him. You could be fighting through a solid wall and be unable to precision like if if, 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 it, if it's the same as it is is now, I, we're both within an inch of a wall on opposite sides, and I have a unit with a character in it, and you have precision blows. You can't allocate crap to that guy. Yep, that is so an interesting 
point. Just a small thing to point out there. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense in shooting. It gets kind of just amusing. And- <laughs> Very amusing. Uh, Blast has changed slightly, so it still is, is what you'd expect now, except they get one additional shot for every five models in the uh, in the unit they're targeting. Is that correct? Yes, they no longer max shots into certain profiles. Mm-hmm. It's now just every plus every blast weapon is plus one attack for every five models in the enemy unit. So if you hit a five man, plus one. If you hit a nine man, it's still plus one. If you hit a ten man, plus two. Fifteen man, plus three. 32 man plus six. I love everything about this. I love it so much more. Everyone played around Blast so well in Ninth Edition that it was a pretty much a non-starter as far as I'm concerned. As soon as the phalanxes of Necron Warriors dropped off, because everyone was taking Plasma Receptors when they were busted at, you know, 40-odd points again uh, back at the start. Uh, since then, like, I don't think I have prioritized a Blast weapon in Ninth Edition. So I've got two things to note. One is that there is a second part to Blast, which is that you can never shoot a Blast weapon against a target with an engagement range of any units, including your own. So Makes sense. if you tag a Lehman Russ, it can point its heavy bolters at you, it can't point its turret at you. Yep. However, if a Lehman Russ is just sitting by itself and it sees a friendly Lehman Russ being wrapped by Termagants, it can shoot yeah. its heavy, you know, it, it can't ever shoot into that combat. Or vice versa, actually, because that was a bad example. If a uh, Lehman Russ sees a Carnifex surrounded by Guardsmen, it can shoot its heavy bolters at that Carnifex, it cannot shoot its Balakan at that Carnifex. It can get a little awkward, can't it? I... I think Blast is way better than before. I, I think do, I this, do too. I think this is a stronger deterrent to units than it was before. I think so as well. I think this is a much better. Um, no, 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 I think this is much worse. Oh, sorry. Sorry, wait. What? I, I think this is... No, I think Blast weapons got stronger. Yep. I think Blast weapons got too strong. Oh. A, a, I mean, come on. Like We're talking Plasma Scepters where... It was a little unbalanced that they would just get three shots each, six yes. shots high into twenty necron warriors. Well, it was a rule that either was supreme or ignored. It did did not no. matter or was entirely too powerful. Indeed. But let's pretend that plasma scepters are the same profile and tenth as their ninth. We haven't really seen the rules, so let's just yeah. go with the older rules here. A plasma scepter used to get six shots into twenty necron warriors. Now it gets eight plus two d three. Ergo, they cannot be the same. <laughs> yeah, and the, it's what we just discovered. One would hope, but like even <laughs> still, like um, I think that blast is too strong because there was a because I even a ten man a ten man a plasma scepter if it theoretically was the same stats as the ninth would now be four plus two d three and again really hoping that it changes you know maybe it'll be twin linked but even then yeah I, I don't know I feel like blast ability to get plus two plus four shots i feel like that's going to end up being really strong especially for the d3 shot blast weapons whatever they are yeah i feel like the d3s are the biggest beneficiaries here i i, I mean I'll, I'll say straight up i really don't like the amount of d3s and d6s that gw has left in the game i i was really happy with the way they were going towards the end of the edition not with the the, the amount of rend and strength and damage they had on the profiles but things like the lehman rust that just had a consistent amount of shots no matter what i thought that was good a little bit of variance good amount for the purchase of the points make the plasma executioner a worse profile but consistent shots there's still too many d6s for my like but i think blast is a way of making a d6 feel fun without being a oh oh dear god why did i take this unit like rapid fire battle cannon man how good do they feel how, how good do they look on paper now and how crap did they feel for all of ninth edition yeah, they definitely look better now. I, I think I think that Blast has just received a significant glow up. Me too. And we'll see if Blast weapons are priced appropriately and removed. And again, maybe maybe Plasma Scepters are no longer two D three Blast shots each. 
that's just obvious. It's the the biggest defender of Blast Ninth Edition, and so it's the first place my mind went tenth. We'll it's see to- how yeah, totally fair, totally fair. Across. All right. Melter has changed a little bit. It's pretty much very similar to the rapid fire. It'll tell you how many and more, how much more damage you do, denoted by the X in the Melter rule, when you get within half range. Yep. Um, heavy, you get plus one to hit if you remain stationary. If you just have the heavy rule, so it's no longer minus one if you've moved. They've already kind of baked that into a lot of the profiles, but you will get plus one if you remain stationary. And then we go over to a couple of the others. You got hazardous. You can take that, mate. Absolutely. So hazardous is. Uh... Uh, just the the generic you overcharged weapon. Let's see if you find out. And it's no longer on the hit roll of one. It's now make one dice roll regardless of the number of shots of the thing after you fire the weapon. So you fire a D6 shot, plasma, weird, redemptor blast gun or something. After you're done overcharging it, if it's hazardous, then roll one dice. So you're less likely to fail than before for multi-shot weapons, but you no longer have the cushion of whatever. I just reroll ones to hit. Correct. So it's not Correct. Um, so for every roll of a one, the test has failed, and every time a test has failed, one model in the unit equipped with a hazardous weapon is destroyed, unless that model is a character monster vehicle, which case suffers three mortal wounds. So that means that if you have uh, 10 Hellblasters, and you just say, screw it, they're all overcharging, you just roll 10 dice at the end of it. Every one is just a guy died. I like that you can't dodge the variance anymore, because, I mean, perfect example, the Plasma Inceptor, um, I have had those guys come down and not lose a dude in an entire game, and I've also had five of them come down, and I've lost three on turn one, so this is the first time I've shot them. Uh, <laughs> so, this feels better that you can't dodge the variants, it's always going to be an ever-present thing to consider, but... It feels better, but then also worse. Exactly it's right. It's risky. It's risky, man. Well, you just overcharge when you need it now. You don't just auto-slap down the overcharge every single time. So, but possibly that's good. Uh, devastating Wounds. Um, this is the... This is a rule. This is a rule I have a problem with. Um, I, I do not like this one. This one and the one that's adjacent to it, the two that I have the biggest problems with. Um, devastating Wounds, every time you make a devasta- a critical wound roll, if you have Devastating Wounds, the amount of damage of the weapon is converted into mortal wounds. So if you roll a 6 to wound and you have a damage 12 weapon, you just dealt 12 mortal wounds to a unit. See, my issue with this is that it turns a unit that could and should resemble a you know a one-shot weapon, a rail, rail weapon from a hammerhead or something like that, and it turns it into a catch-all. It turns it into a good-at-everything weapon. The one everyone's been talking about on the internet, we're not going to dodge it, is, of course, the D-Cannon. So the D-Cannon, how many damage is the D-Cannon? Um, did they show this profile on the Warhammer Community website or something? They, they did. Okay. D6 plus 2. Yeah. So, well, they showed it on the preview game uh, um, that Nick and... Good enough, good enough for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. The, boy, the boys played at, um, at yeah, Kansas. Uh, D6 plus 2. And you get a 6 to wound, yeah, and that, that weapon is on profile. You look at it on face value and you're like, well, this is here to kill Terminators and tanks and Dreadnoughts and things like that. And then you see that on a 6 to wound, it becomes mortal wounds and you're like, this is here to scorch the earth, destroy the sun and annihilate the galaxy because it kills everything now. D6 plus 2 means you kill D6 plus 2 single model units as well because the mortal wounds get transferred over one one at a time. It, it takes something that should be built for a purpose and, and makes it too much of a catch-all for me, um, especially when you have fate dice. How do you feel yeah. about it? I, I think it's very strong. I think it is, as you said, it's most offensive on high damage weapons or if someone has the ability to manipulate it, either with a rule that we'll talk about soon because it's not on an unmodified six, it's on a critical wound. Correct. This, and this is where it ties into it. Well, this is this is why I'm hoping they keep these two keywords separate that we're going to get to at the end of the next one. But uh, tell us about the next couple, mate. Okay, so 
Next couple are sustained hits. This is basically the old exploding hits. So yep. it'll say sustained hits X. Um, each time you score a critical hit, you get an additional number of hits equal to X. So if you are sustained hits one and you roll a six to hit, you get one extra hit, AKA a six to hit is two hits. If you have sustained hits two and you roll a six, you'll get a total of three hits. Cool. It's just the old Tesla turned yeah. into a way to model, moderate it. So you could be baby Tesla, big Tesla, massive death jester Tesla, etc. Yep, yep. Um, extra attacks is up next. It's pretty self-explanatory. It tells you, oh, you got mecha dendrites, bang, extra attacks, that kind of stuff. Um, and this is only for melee weapons because you now have to choose one melee weapon to attack with. But then if you have extra attacks, you can use them to make extra attacks. Even though you could normally only swing one melee weapon, you can now use this as well. Spot on. All right, take away my second problem, child. Tell us about the anti-USR. Uh, yes, anti. And uh, anti-weapons are going to be presented as anti-keyword X+. Plus. And so if you're anti-vehicle 4+, plus, a wound roll of a 4+, plus against anyone with the keyword vehicle, counts as a critical wound. Not just it successfully wounds, although that is a side effect, but it counts as a critical wound, which means that if you were anti-vehicle 4+, plus devastating wounds... Your four plus to wound automatically wounds counts as a six and now triggers devastating wounds. Oops on mortals. Yeah. Oops on mortals. It's and yeah. I like both of these rules in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Although devastating wounds, I think they need to be a little more picky and not and put it on like one damage Correct. and two damage. Correct. Where a little spillover is not the end of the world. Um but like yeah. Let me make a wound roll to see if my harpoon kills one guardsman or twelve. Um <laughs> just did i line you up properly one in six chance so there is some stuff like that where you're kind of throwing a building at a unit like like a harpoon i suppose a railgun a rail cannon on a on a on a hammerhead would make a freaking impact and kill some dudes that makes some sense to me um it's the reliability of it it's being able to jank it out that i feel like is is probably going to cause us some issues um the anti so i just want them to change the anti keyword to just be like it doesn't count as a critical hit you auto wound on this amount. A six is still a critical sure, and you can tr- you can trigger your devastating wounds off the six still. But the four plus the three plus to wound that it always counts as a successful wound doesn't count as a critical. Would that be too much to ask, or is that just I, punishing I think, everybody for the sake of Eldar sins? I think that's fair. I also think that devastating wounds could have, and I think it's too late. I think devastating wounds could have been praised as devastating wounds one. On a critical wound, you add a mortal. You add, you, or add, or, or add the amount of mortals shown by X. Exactly. Yeah, there, there were options, um, and it may end up fine. But on on first read, the fact that a uh, a D cannon, as you said, may kill a guardsman, or it may kill eight. Yeah, with Let's one shot. Find out. Yeah, with one shot. Let alone the rest of its shots. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. So those are you know, those are the current weapon profiles that we have for your extrapolation. Hopefully, you enjoyed those, and we are moving straight on to the charge phase because we have no breaks, mate. Tell no us, breaks. tell us about this phase. What is there to know? Okay, so a unit is eligible to charge if it's um, all the same things that you'd expect previously and is within twelve inches of an enemy unit. Cool. Um, now, how to actually charge the unit? It's the same as before. Except yep. uh, when you make a, um, so you still have to declare a number of targets, and you then after you're then twelve, then you have to roll a, a dice on the charge roll to reach them. Um, here's the difference. The difference is if you complete the charge when you make a charge move, there's a lot less options. Correct. And also, if you successfully make a charge, you gain the roll fights first rather than which we'll talk about in a second. 
Um, but uh, it, it now just gives you a rule rather than saying it happens at a particular step. Here's the, the critical difference. Um, if the charge move is successful, move each model a distance in inches up to the result of the charge move. Uh, the charge roll, each model in the charging unit must end its charge move closer to one of the units selected as the target of its charge. If you can move it so that it ends in base to base of uh, one of our enemy models while still satisfying all the normal conditions of state coherence, you don't get an engaged range of a new friend, etc., you must do so. So if your normal charge lets you end in base contact, you must get in base contact. If your charge move lets you, if and if you can't make base contact, you instead must move closer to the closest enemy than when you started. So no yep. more charging to get one model in and then and move then. backwards. No more charging with moderation where you roll it tw- where you're two inches away. And you just say, I'm not going to roll because I'm only moving an inch. I like this enough, but I don't love the exec- I don't love the execution. I like the that you have to end every model has to charge closer to the closest model. I hate that you have to end in base to base. Me too. Me too. Because honestly, the biggest thing that like could be a problem. Let's say you're on an objective and you charge someone two inches away and you accidentally roll a twelve, and all the intercessors <laughs> on the objective are like, "Well, I can move eleven inches all the way around." and go tag the back of your base, well, I guess that's more important than the objective marker. Let's go. Yeah. Like, the hand is forced. I, I also do not like that I foresee this becoming a point of dissension and possibly conflict or argument where people, have you made enough? Have you rolled high enough to make base? Has this one? Has this one? Is this one an inch out? Is this one a millimeter out? Is this one in? Is this one out? It just, it just seems if like I it's will- going to come up in issue. It does. And if I roll a 10 and we're going to now argue, am I 10.1 or exactly, exactly, man. this model? And, and here's where it gets silly is that when you make a charge move, you get to um, uh, move your models one at a time in an order that you choose, which means if I've got my five intercessors on 32 mil basis, I can, and I roll in 12 and I'm now tr- actively trying to save myself. I'm going to charge one guy in and base to base contact. The second guy is going to go base to base contact, and he's going to be 31 millimeters away from his friend. Yep. And then I'm going to say, well, this guy can't fit between them, so he can't base you. Yes. So now he has to go all the way around, and he's also going to go 31 millimeters for our friend. And well, now the last guy can't actually make base to base contact, so he's going to move half an inch instead of 10. I cool. feel like this is going to force more issues than it's going to save. What I, I what I believe this is here to do is to stop feel bad's moments of people executing pretty sometimes pretty amazing dexterous charge moves in order to change games and win games and express a lot of player skill and nuance into something that is going to be a lot of um you are not playing in the spirit of the rules by finagling and janking your own movements in order to gain an advantage you have so there is there is every advantage so disadvantage for the charging player to roll enough to make base contact. There is no incentives to roll high on your roll. All you want to roll is enough to get within an inch. You don't want any more than <laughs> uh, Honestly, it makes Miracle Base even better. Dude, now it does. I have available charge where I'm trying not to leave an objective. Correct. And so all your jank is just going to be down to the dice. I feel like we've we've taken away Blast templates and added back something possibly worse six years later. Um, yeah. But we will see. Hopefully it's not that bad. But right now, this is the phase that bothers me the most because I feel like it's going to cause the most issues. All I can oh, yeah. say to all I can say to people out there is one hundred percent 
both players agree upon what you need to make base contact on the dice before they roll for every single charge. No ifs, no buts. It's now so important. All right. So they've now given us um, the rules for charging over terrain and charging with fly. Luckily, this is identical to doing so in the movement phase. Yay! If you move over terrain <laughs> in a charge move, it's the exact same as if you did it before. And if you charge with a flying model, you still move over models and a terrain exactly the same as you would in the movement phase. It's identical wording. Uh, and it is nice that charging with fly now includes this. Yes, it, it, it does. And it is a much easier. Yes, no longer the bloodthirster jumps over a building, lands in front of a second building, and says, well, how am I supposed to hit that guy over there? <laughs> yeah, spot on. Um, is that it for that one? Jump into the flight phase? 100% fight phase time. So it is broken down into a couple of different activations. You have the um, fights first, fights first. Who would have thought that fights first with fights first? But is it charges with fights first or fights first with the charges? And then they have the, the thing on the thing and the stuff and they're extra consolidates and, the, and, and then they make them fights last and then they fight first, but they got two fights first, so they fight more faster. Um, yeah, exactly. it's, the, <laughs> it's actually a blood firster. Yes. Um, so there's two <laughs> steps in the fight phase. There is fights first and remaining combats. Fight first is where everyone with a special rule fights first, fights. Cool, exactly what you'd think. Charging gives you fights first, which means that if a unit has fights first on its data sheet and a different unit charges, they now just are on the same step. Correct. And it's the same rule. It's and we a- have not seen any reference in this core book to fights last existing. We have not seen any well, evidence of that. See, I like this a lot more. If they just put, if they just make fights last extremely rare and get proactive about it, and let's let's front load this and say fights first is more important because we can control that a lot easier as a a, a design team. The I fights- expect. Yep. And we haven't seen this yet, but my guess is that if fights last gets introduced in either indexes or codexes, that it won't exist as a fights last. It'll say, pick an enemy unit, it doesn't benefit from fights first. That, exactly right. That was about to say. It, it counts as a remaining, remaining, an ongoing mm-hmm. combat or remaining combat. Um, anything so, to, and the, uh, the biggest one I want to point out here before we, before we go much further is that the, the non-controlling player gets to pick first now. Yep, in all stages. So as it is right now, is in ninth edition, you start with fights first units and chargers, starting with the player whose turn it is. And then with remaining combats, you start with the player whose turn it is not. Now you start with the player whose turn it is not all the time. So if a unit charges a fights first unit, the player whose turn it is not will pick the first fights first unit. So let's say um, we've already seen that the lion has fights first. They've already Correct. previewed that. Yep. So if I charge the lion with my Tyranids, the Dark Angel player at the start of the fight, of the fight's first step will say, I'm going to pick a fight's, face, fight's first unit, the Lion. He's going to hit your Hive Tyrant. Oh, God, what have I done? This fight's I, first is very hard to charge. I kind of feel like this is a, this is, this is a little bit of a problem. If it depends just, on how freely you can get fights first. Yeah, if, you, if we had it like, let's just theoretically say you can get units of 20 possessed back like you used to be able to. Um, and they have you know, Empress Children with fights first. Are they unchargeable? Basically, I mean, theoretically, <laughs> you can still do the same thing as before, where you try to base up a bunch of dudes yeah. and stop them from swinging and then yeah. hit them with a hammer unit on the corner. But then also, if that hammer unit accidentally rolls a 12 on its charge and you start going a little bit deeper, oops. Oopsie daisy, it's going to get a lot more awkward. Um, this is, I like this a lot. Where, like, I looked at the line and I looked at this section and back of the line, I'm like, it immediately match up. I just walked the line at, uh, checks notes everyone. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, yeah. you, can only, you can only fight me in melee. I think you're screwed unless you can just like like put three or four units into this guy. Um, three or four good units as well. Yeah, you need some guns, or you need some fight on death, or you yep. need uh, something. <laughs> hmm. It makes it quite spicy. Uh, what else is there to extrapolate from the fight phase? Uh, mainly, it's just how you, so picking units is otherwise the same. Um, everyone who is in the fight's first step has to be chosen to fight, etc. And now, how you pile in and make attacks and consolidate has changed. Dramatically. Dramatically. So again, they've tried to limit some jank here, I think. I, I think they've done it okay here. It's pretty self-explanatory. I don't love what they've done to consolidate. So, Jumpy, tell us about pile-in. I'll do consolidate. Okay, so pile-in. Every model, uh, so you can choose... Either you do or you don't pile in. If you do pile in, every model that moves must end closer to the closest enemy model, and if possible, in base-to-base contact. So if you have the option for a 3-inch pile-in to get you into base-to-base contact, you have to go touch them. Uh, If you can't end in base-to-base contact, you just have to end closer to the closest enemy model, and the unit must end in coherency, end with an engagement range of at least one enemy. If you can't do that, no one can pile in. That means that if two units charge in, one kills the target entirely, the other looks around and says, huh, three-inch pylon won't get me within an inch of an enemy. Great, you can't pile in. You are now stuck. Correct. Um, And onto the consolidation side of things, you must end the consolidate. So to consolidate, you must be able to end to the closest enemy model and in base-to-base with an enemy model if possible. Uh, The unit must end in coherency, of course, and engage around at least one enemy unit if possible. So if you can't end within an enemy unit, you can't consolidate unless you can get onto an objective. If you can't get onto an objective, you can't consolidate. So if you can't get within three, if you can't get within engagement range of another unit or model, and you can't get onto an objective, you can't consolidate at all. How do you feel about these two pretty impactful changes? I hate them. I hate them as well. <laughs> I, this, this is me being an elitist melee player. And I get it, and I will get used to it. I will but be too. I, as a player who really enjoys the technical side of melee play in ninth edition and enjoyed it in eighth edition, I see this as, Oh, you tried to make it simple and instead you made it less fun. Correct. I think they should have left the pile in exactly the same um, as it is in, in ninth, in ninth. And I would have been happy for them to do what they did with consolidate. That's kind of, it's kind Funny of enough, okay. I feel, the opposite. I feel like they could have said pile in has to go in if it can. Yep. I oh. consolidate is, and, and and also like piling, you don't get to pile in if the enemy's dead, but you still get to consolidate. That's totally fine. I think uh, my point was that I think one of them should have stayed the same, giving Agreed. us a little it, bit of jank. I, I hate that you just can't move anymore if you kill your target. Mm-hmm. You just like just two units charge in, one of them kills the target, the other one's like, "Well, I'm done here." What, right. I, what I what I don't get about it is that we've always had some version of sweeping advance or um, consolidate via your initiative spell or by your roller d6 and move that after you've won a combat. We've always had something that lets you always move after you've killed yourself out of something, and a lot of times. I feel like consolidate needed to stay. I, I wouldn't have minded either one, but one of them should have one of them should have stayed. I think I, I would um, prefer consolidate because then if you kill someone, you get to move a little bit. You should get rewarded. Yeah, you should get rewarded. Oh, you killed somebody. Let's just stare at their corpses while the other guys just get the firing lines. Perfect, nice and perfect. Um, so we do need to cover some very notable things with how you uh, make melee attacks. Sure. So it's the same attack sequence as shooting. Yep. And when you do it, you get to pick one melee weapon, and then also if someone has extra attacks, you can use those as well. 
Here's the important part. When you select targets, you have to either select an enemy model, an enemy unit you're within engagement range of one inch, or that if you are in base contact with a friend who is in base Correct. contact, you can select that. So it's no longer half an inch of half an inch. It's now base of base. So base of engagement yeah. range though, yeah? No, no. Base of base. Yeah, so wait, so you, to attack, you have to be base to base with the with the unit, with the model that is itself in base to base of the target. Correct. Yeah. So there's you no more to attack if they're all base to base. No longer half inch. There's no more wiggle room. But also, you now have to base if possible. So this is actually not that hard. However, there's one other thing to note here: when selecting targets, you can select any enemy units that are either in base of base or in engagement range. You are not limited to your charge targets. Correct. So you can fight anything you can get within range of. Although, um, in the movement phase, um, we went back up. There were some limitations on moving within engagement range of units you haven't charged. I can't remember which one it was. There, it's only for normal moves advances. That's correct. So you still pile into units you haven't charged. Exactly. If if, if they're close enough. All right. Um, next up, we have. Oh, sorry, unless there's anything else here, we're going to go into uh, the data sheets, which I don't feel like we should have to explain. They're there for anybody to see, and they're pretty. I mean, I think they're one of the best things GW has done about this edition. The the data sheets are really easy to understand. Fully agreed. There's not so, much to cover. Not much to cover. Um, jumping down to deployment abilities, there's. I don't feel like there's much to cover here. If you're coming from Ninth Edition, you pretty much know all of these things. Uh, deep Strike is Deep Strike. Infiltrators is you deploy nine inches away from the opponent or, the, or their DZ. And Scout is you move a, a Scout X. You move a number of inches at the start of the game after you see who's gone first and second and done the roll-offs and stuff. Um, leader, anything to unpack here? Several things. So the first thing is Leader is a rule that you'll have that lets you join a character uh, to what to another unit, which are known as their bodyguard units. Their data sheet will list what their bodyguard units are. You can't attach a Terminator librarian to servitors. You can only Great. attach it to the units that are its bodyguard lists, which can be like Terminators, Terminator Assault Squad, etc. Now, um, you do this during declare battle formation step, which is the same as transports, essentially. Um, so you just attach all leaders that you want to at that stage. Here's what you need to know now. If you have a leader attached to a unit, it's treated as a single unit for all rules purposes, except as we saw previously for destroy units. When attacking a leader unit, use the toughness of the bodyguard models in that unit, even if a leader has a different toughness characteristic. So if a hive tyrant and tyrant guard have different toughness, yep. use the tyrant guard leadership, no matter how many tyrant guard are alive. Even if it's one-to-one, -one, yeah. use the bodyguard unit. Second, makes sense. if a character model has lost one or more wounds, you still can't allocate wounds to it unless you have precision. And you can't choose to either. If I have, I don't know... Um, Let's say I have Morvan Vol attached to 10 Battle Sisters or something. I don't even know if that's legal. Let's just say I do. Um, I can't choose to take the saves on Morvan Vol. You can't tank him. No. And, and let's say you hit me with a precision shot and a sniper weapon and Morvan Vol takes a wound. I still have to allocate the Battle Sisters first. So it is now possible to have two wounded models in a unit, a leader and then a wounded model. Because and, the, the, the allocation rules that we saw earlier still have the same... If you have a wounded model in a unit, that one starts taking wounds, unless it's a leader. I would like to point this out, and once again, congratulate the community, because GW finally figured out the best way to stop Death Stars. 
and I believe this is it. You can no longer tank with the units, sorry, with the with the characters. Remember the Medusa's chain in in sixth and seventh edition, where oh, you have the Gorgon's chain. The Gorgon's chain, sorry, where you'd have a <laughs> a Space Marine captain on a bike with a storm shield in the Gorgon's chain, and he'd have a sometimes three up, feel no pain. You could get it. With a two up, <laughs> you could get it with a two up. Yeah, if, I'm not sure it was always worth it, but um, you could get to a two up, feel no pain, and that guy would just. Soak. He would just soak entire armies, and they are like, "Let us never go back to that." And I wholeheartedly agree. Um, well, I mean, in in some ways, I think it's more. It's kind of thematic for the leader to want to take, you know, put their storm shield up and want to tank it for their men. But at the same time, this is just a far better way of playing the game. Agree. Um, I, I think this is by far just for the better. And Absolutely. they could have solved this in my mind by just limiting who could attach to who. So if you've got a Storm Shield Primaris Lieutenant, he can join Bladeguard. Um, like, if they had just done that instead of saying he can tank for Desolator Marines or something. Yeah. But honestly, if they did that, we would find out some example of where they missed, missed something later in the game. <laughs> so Correct. this is probably the best way to just get in front of it. I'm okay with that. Agree. All right, Matt, we are into the stratagems, and we're going to go through these pretty quick. A fair few of these have not changed. Command reroll is exactly what you'd expect. Um, anything notably changed here? Uh, you can use it on a hazardous test. Yep, I suppose that's kind of nice. You can use it on a desperate escape test. Kind of nice, too. Um, Counter-offensive is 2CP. Sorry, command reroll, of course, is staying at 1CP. There's just your interrupt. 2CP, um, your unit fights next. Um, in the fight phase. Command reroll. I'm sorry. I, oh, sure. I want to wrap it up here. Is that you can't use it on psychics. Oh, really? Nope. Not even though they're just a weapon with a hit roll? and. I mean, no, you can use it on like a hit roll, a wound roll, a save roll. But like we've seen that the weird boy has on a 2 plus do something yeah. cool. I like Doom, Doom on yeah, Eldrad and stuff like that as well. Yeah, that makes that's cool. Um, your yeah, counteroffensive is your interrupt. Epic challenge is new one CP. Uh, when a f uh, so this in the, happens at the fight phase when a character unit from your army is that is within engagement range of one or more attached units is selected to fight. Target one character model in your unit to the end of the phase. All immediate attacks made by that model have the precision ability. So you can one CP splash for precision, which is why it's one of my favorite things. I actually think it's really cool. Uh, do you like that one? I like it a lot, um, as long as you can see the character you want to precision. <laughs> That's true. All right. Insane Bravery is 1 CP after you fail a battle shock. You pass the battle shock. I think that's a very good one. And it's much it's more... very good. But there's this... one thing I got to point out here. Do it. It's in the battle shock step of your command phase. Okay. So if I hit you with a battle shock test in the shooting phase, Can't or in the command step of your command phase, doesn't help. Does not help at all. All right, you want to take the next couple? Absolutely. Grenade! I love grenade. Me too. Uh, in your shooting phase, pick a grenade unit from your army that is not within engagement range of enemy unit and has not been selected to shoot. Then you pick an enemy unit within not in, not engagement range and within 8 inches visible to your grenade unit. Roll 6 dice. Every 4 plus is a mortal. So roll 6 dice, every 4 is a mortal. Here's the funny thing. You have to pick a unit that hasn't shot yet but there's nothing to then stop you from shooting that unit Shoot. or saying one model is throwing a grenade and is busy. Yeah. Nope. In no way does it say this is replacing your shooting activation. Nope, just pick a unit that hasn't shot yet and on average dump three mortal wounds onto that thing that really needs to take three mortals. I think it's great. I'm, I expect to be using this judiciously. Agreed. Just looks like a nice splash. Oops, I needed a couple more mortals. You know. Correct. Much like this next one, Tank Shock, 1 CP, in your charge phase, one vehicle unit from your army. The effect is, until the end of that phase, after your unit 
ends a charge move, select one enemy unit within engagement range of it, then select one melee weapon your unit is equipped with. Roll a number of D6s equal to that weapon's strength characteristic. If that strength characteristic is greater than the enemy unit's toughness characteristic, roll two additional D6s. For each 5+, they suffer one mortal wound, up to six mortal wounds. Did, did I, what, what strength was that Shadow Swords? Uh, gun and volcano cannon again. What was so that? Let's use the strength of a melee weapon. Uh, let's not. Let's not get silly. Come. Let, let, let's. No, it's fine. I'm joking. Go for it. <laughs> it's still. Um, I still think this is phenomenal. I still think this is phenomenal. This is a great way for a rhino to splash a couple mortal wounds onto someone who needs it. Which it's going to be hilarious when Mortarian's at one wound left and you're just like, all right, send in the lame speeders. Rhino. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. But where this is going to be insanely good is the vehicles that actually have melee weapons. For example, I don't know if a Redemptor is still strength 14 in combat, but let's just pretend for a second it is. If uh, if you go in with a strength 14 Redemptor and then say, well, it's um it's greater than your toughness, because of course it is. So it's 16. 16 dice every five yep. of some mortal. We're looking yep. at like five mortal wounds being very, very realistic <sighs> for a Redemptor just being on the charge. I do love... Strat is crazy good. I do love that it is very unusual to get the full six models out of this. You need to be like a knight with a with a fist. Yeah, or, but a knight with a fist is like strength twenty, and all of a sudden, oh boy! Yeah, that's what I mean. Like to get the six models out of this for the one CP, it's not just auto six models like you know Crusher Stampede used to do on the charge and stuff like that. This is most likely between what two and four. Yeah, yeah. That, that feels like most vehicles are going to drop like three or four mortals. Yeah, do this, not more, and like a land speeder is going to be like two. Exactly right. But when you like need a rhino, it. probably like, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's next? Rapid ingress. Uh, one CP, Ooh. end of your opponent's movement phase. One unit of yours that is in reserves can immediately arrive from reserves as if it was your movement phase. Jinkies, Batman. This might be the terror of, of, the, of yes. the internet right now. Yeah. I, my brain is reeling by the amount of shenanigans you can accomplish with this stratagem. Uh, just imagine if you can just be like, oh, you moved up here. I'm going to deep strike just out of line of sight of those multi-maltes. Yeah. I'm also nine inches away your turn. What are you going to do? Yeah. Or I'm 12.1 away from that unit that has already moved and now can't charge me. Yeah, like and I, I get to just deep strike a counter charge unit. <laughs> yep. 12.1 inches from Bellacor and say, okay. Correct. And then I'm going to walk these Thunderhammers up five inches and get a six inch charge. <laughs> and off we go. Uh, yikes. Um, all right. Fire Overwatch has changed dramatically. I am, I, this is, this is on Adam's watch list. Could be too good. One CP. When your opponent's movement or charge phase, or just after an enemy unit is set up, or when an enemy unit starts or ends a normal advance, fallback, or charge move. So anytime. They try to move a freaking model. You can slap this down, essentially, apart from a pile and a consolidate. Um, target one unit from your army that is within 24 of that enemy unit and that would be eligible to shoot if it was your shooting phase. The effect is your your unit can shoot that enemy unit as if it were your shooting phase. Restrictions. Until the end of the phase, each time a model in the unit makes a range attack, it's a six to hit. Uh, regardless of blister skill or any modifiers, you can only use this stratagem once per turn. This is four inches was a mistake. That's correct. I was about to say twenty-four is way oh. too freaking good. Should be twelve, be probably. 12. Should be twelve. Um, what Ow. are your thoughts on this, though? Do you think it's as busted as I do? Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. The, the units that don't have to make a hit roll are insane, uh-huh. and it's because it can happen before your opponent gets to shoot a charge. Um, the example that people are thinking about 
is let's say we grab a unit with flamers. I don't know, like uh, five incinerator marines, whatever they call the new guys. And you just run them up and you flame some gods. And then in your opponent's movement phase, you say, all right, next person within 24 inches of me is also again. Your your opponent starts sweating as their hand trembles moving towards the first unit they're going to activate in their movement phase. Yeah, you just move it up within 12 inches of two different gaunt units and say, yeah, "Yeah, if that unit tries to run away, they're dead. So where I think this is going to be a big problem is as soon as we have a unit that you can rapid ingress, a multi-purpose unit, let's say theoretically you could rapid ingress uh, flame into flame aggressors or centurions. You rapid ingress into your opponent's lines where they can't be charged or shot. You move out, you charge and kill one of their best units, and then you get to two-for-one them no matter what because you've just walked directly and charged directly into the middle of their army. Next thing they try and move of value, you just blow it up. It, it could be worse than that. Let's say I rapid ing- let's say I can theoretically deep strike an aggressor unit. Um, what if I just deep strike eleven point nine inches away from your melee unit and say, "Hey, as soon as you start or end a charge move, I'm yes. gonna Can I watch you again? Yes. And it's your turn. And then in my turn, yeah, we're going straight in. And then we're gonna my squad. I'm just deep strike eleven inches from an incubi squad and say, "All right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what are you gonna do about this? You can die oh. now. or You can die later." <laughs> Yeah, like my turn or your turn, you let me know, buddy. Yeah. This wow. is a pro- I, I think Overwatch is a problem. The 24 inches, oh man, that's oh, it's such a big freaking thing. Um, I wonder if this is enough to put the Valiant, the big old Flamestorm Valiant right. back on the on the menu. We will see there what that profile. Thing, there's one thing about Fire Overwatch that I do like. You can only use the stratagem once per once turn. Once per turn. And this gets around all of the abilities we've seen, such as the Terminator Captain and Gulliman, that say, oh, just use a stratagem again, even if you've already used it. So you can't use those rules to do Fire Overwatch twice or three times. Thank the God. The stratagem itself prevents something, rather than just the generic stratagem rule, which, of course, is the same as before. You can only use strat once per phase. All right. Give us the uh, next couple, mate, because the next couple are right. pretty self-explanatory. All right, cool. Uh, next two are pretty easy. One CP, go to ground in your opponent's shooting phase after they shoot uh, an infantry unit of yours. That infantry unit gains a 6-up invuln and the benefits of cover. So Lovely. There's no downside. It's not like old editions where if you went to ground, you became pinned. That's gone. It's just your opponent shoots you, get cover and a 6-up invuln real fast on your infantry unit. The 6-up invuln is, is the big one there for me. Um, I like that a lot. I think that's quite clever. Yeah, and if you ever get caught out without cover, this is nice to have. Absolutely. But, um, a big thing here is that, yep, you can give an orc boy a save. Yay! Um, smoke screens up next, 1 CP. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, benefits of cover and stealth for a smoke unit. So you have to have the keyword. All right, last one. Heroic intervention, 2 CP in your opponent's charge phase. This is significantly different than, uh, than it used to be. After your opponent ends a charge move within 6 inches of one of your units, spend 2 CP, pick the friendly unit within 6 inches of the charging unit, and declare a charge against it as if it were your charge phase. Uh, so you have to pass like normal. Yes, you can still CP roll that charge if you need to. Uh, and you can only select a vehicle unit in your army if it's a walker to do this. So a, a Lehman Russ cannot heroically intervene, but a carnivore can. If the charge is successful, you do not receive the charge bonus on page 29, aka fights first. This is a big deal. So, of course, when they put characters back into units, giving them all heroic intervention didn't become was, was pretty much non-viable or had to be completely reworked. I think this is an elegant change. Putting it on any, pretty, you know, most units in the game that you would want to take will be able to do this. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. This is cool. But let yeah. me let me tell you some problems I have. Okay. 
my intercessor unit is charging your um your chaos space brains, whatever. I accidentally roll a twelve inch on my charge. Now I have to go get in the heroic range of Abaddon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Game ends. Yes. Now, likewise, my heroic unit heroics into something to accept. Like my Abaddon heroics into like an intercessor squad that I knew was going to get wrecked anyways, no big deal. I roll a 12 on that charge. I can go all the way out and go find something else to attack because I don't have to target the things that I charged. Yep, that is true. Hmm, there is, yeah, there's some jank there. There's some juicy jank. And I just, I just don't like how much of it's not in your control there. Can be bad. That's the main <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's like you're seven inches away and you only want to see a seven. Yeah. No more than a freaking seven. Like rolling higher is not better. Um, and that kind of feels weird. More big number should be more better. They, yeah. yeah. Big like, number more better. Like, it's it. right. It's right. The dopamine wants to respond, but then it says no. Anyway, all right, strategic reserves. So in an in a strike force game, which is predominantly what people listening to here is most likely playing, you can have 500 points in strategic reserves. Um, strategic reserves work pretty much similar to what they do now, except they are exclusionary to your deep strikes. So you can have a portion of your army in deep strike and a portion of your army in strategic reserve. Strategic reserve is only the 500 points. There, as far as I can tell, there is no cap on how much you can have in deep strike. Agreed. As long as you have units on the table, because as soon as you don't have any units on the table, you are tabled and you lose the game. It's an auto concede, which we will get to later as well. The arrival of strategic reserves is very similar to as it is now, except you can arrive in your opponent's deployment zone, not off their table edge turn two, and then off any table edge or whatever you like from turn three. Now, there's one crucial thing to be said here, yep. which is that uh, it says from the third battle round onwards, meaning you could arrive on turn four and five. Correct. Now, I would not be surprised if there is a you know, a chapter approved or a mission pack that comes out and, and restricts it back to turn two and turn three. But I'd be happy to see how we go with the turns four and turn fives for a little bit and see if we can make that work. Yeah, so the, the reason I bring that up is that, in, indeed, the ninth edition book did not, the core book did not put all the limits on deep strike that we are familiar with. Some of those came in chapter approved, so it's entirely possible that there's like a no turn one deep strike rule in chapter approved. There isn't at the moment, but notably here with strategic reserves, um, you have to arrive nine inches horizontally away from our models, not just nine inches horizontally. All right. Um, we may leave the rest of this so we do have the terrain left which i think i could do uh, a little bit of an episode on terrain no problems and then of course we have the battlefield setup and the missions coming as well uh we do have aircraft rules which we are going to cover now though you want to give us the lowdown on how aircraft can operate in 10th edition absolutely and let me scroll real quick because we're hopping over terrain as an aircraft would of course um, you're getting it you're picking up what i'm putting down mate absolutely i'm filling time while i scroll and now uh Aircraft are have to start in strategic reserves, amen. Um, and uh, they have a yeah, so they no longer have as much as many rules as before, I think. So aircraft have to start in strategic reserves, and if they have the rule hover, they can choose to basically throw everything out. So if an aircraft model has the rule hover in its ability, so it's not just a generic aircraft rule, you have to have it in your data sheet. Then before doing anything else, when you declare battlefield formations, aka the transport step. You can declare a trans a vehicle will hover or a flyer will hover. Uh, if it does so, you change its move characteristic to twenty. It loses the aircraft keyword, and it loses all rules for being an aircraft model, and it just becomes a vehicle that probably has fly. 
Correct. That is my assumptions as well. I fly and moves yeah. twenty and moves twenty inches base. And, and, and a move characteristic of twenty, which is pretty nice. So um, gone are the days. Sorry, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, but you can still choose to put in reserves. But basically, anything that hovers can choose to start on the table and it'd be a worse aircraft. Whereas an aircraft without hover starts in reserves and is then an aircraft. Correct. Um, the movement for aircraft has changed dramatically. You now no longer move then. Uh, sorry, pivot then move, you now move then pivot. So you don't get to pivot when you go to activate the model. You have to move the model and then pivot it. So your direction of flight will always be known to your opponent. Because you have to go in a straight line now. You don't get to pivot and then go in a straight line. You don't have that essentially 180-degree arc of movement directly in front of you. You have a straight freaking line. And if you can't land in that straight line, you are going off the table. You are sent into strategic reserves. And if you can't come back on, you know, if that is turn five, you end up strategic reserves, uh, you're dead, as far as I can tell. Yep. And indeed, it says that aircraft have a movement characteristic of 20 plus. So you have to move 20. There is no upper limit on how far you can move, which is good. You know, moving 50 inches is, we don't even need to say that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, now, they do say that aircraft can be moved through by enemy models, as long as the enemy models does not end in engagement range. Same as before. Um, in the charge and fight phase, aircraft can never declare a charge, and uh, only units that fly can select an aircraft as target with charge. charge. Same, yeah. Um, yep. Aircraft is only eligible to fight if it's within engagement range of an enemy that can fly, and vice versa. Cannot make pylon or consolidate moves ever. Um, and each time a model makes a pylon or consolidate move, unless it has fly, it can ignore the aircraft. Yep. What do you think about these rules? Is this going to finally give us an addition where aircraft aren't Busted at least once? No, they're going to be busted at least once, but it's not going to be people's faults. <laughs> That's just going to be in one... They made a storm talent 70 points or something. Correct. It's going to be one busted-ass data sheet. Because uh, I, I have been making the, me the meme rounds uh, on my shows saying, like, there's four things that have been busted in every single edition I've ever played. Spore mines, splitting horrors. Um... Spore mines? Yeah, you shut up. You know what you did. <laughs> splitting horrors. Aircraft? And what was the other one? There's a fourth one. Indirect? And indirect, yes. Has been busted in every single edition of the game that I have played since 7th. Um, oh, sorry, since 6th, I think. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's just so funny that it's so consistent now. Uh, all right, mate, what else do we need to cover from this one? Um, nothing, so well, I'm not going to talk about mustering armies either. That can be its own thing. If, effectively, I think... Aircraft. Sorry? Just one other thing with aircraft. A beauty. Aircraft are not inherently minus to hit. Ooh, that is interesting. Yep. Now, there's since they've introduced the rule stealth, which yep. gives you minus one to hit, it would not shock me if some aircraft had stealth, some had stealth hover, some had hover, yep. etc. Yep. But inherently, there is nothing to tell you that an aircraft is minus one to hit. Spicy. There you go, mate. That is an interesting one. Uh, the next couple of pages uh, denote how you build your armies, and next is how you do your missions. I'm probably going to do a Leviathan mission pack review because this is just denoting the only war missions, and then we're wrapping up. So there is one more thing we need to talk about, and we need to talk about it because it's not here. We talked about how the morale phase isn't here. Let's talk about how the psychic phase isn't here. What have they done with the psychic phase, mate? Where is it gone? What are they doing? Is it good what they've done? Yeah, so the psychic phase is completely gone. And they have now rolled psychic abilities into the data sheet. They've shown us some examples. Um, and they've even and they've uh, rolled it into a lot of weapons. So Smite is now a ranged weapon carried by a librarian. And a librarian may say, he, I give my units sustained hits one because of they're moving faster. 
or something. Um, or I give my guys a five up in one because I'm casting a shield dome. Um, but that's now just a, an ability on the data sheet. I think it's simplified. I think it's fine. Yes, it feels weird. It feels different if you were a psychic heavy army. It's probably better for the non psychic armies. Yeah. And I think it's just a net. This is okay. I am a this is okay. I need to I need to find out how many points per model people are paying to be a psycho over like like I want to know how much a Libby is over a lieutenant or a captain you know or if it's less or more what price point are they putting on these abilities now because previously you could really tell when people should be paying points elder for their psychic abilities and when people should be not paying so much for them you know a la a single primary psycho who's ain't gonna do diddly squat. <laughs> Uh, right. And he doesn't he doesn't actually contribute to the battlefield in any other way. But you know, um, a lot has been made of like the Grey Knights. Like, what does Grey Knights and what does this do for Grey Knights and T Suns? Do they still feel like an interesting and thematic? Do, have they lost a flavor or identity out of this? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so it, it seems like anti psychic things are still going to be very prevalent because um, we saw, I think, in the Terminator Librarian uh, data sheet that he gives his unit like uh, like a psychic code gives like a. What, what did it give? Did it give four, 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 up, four psychic against psychic attacks? Yeah, and then just anything that has the, the tag at psychic in it, and like uh, a weapon will have the tag at psychic, and like like a and like torrent if it's like a eye bullet flame or something. Um, so like I think they're gonna still feel unique, but I think that when people have anti psychic stuff, it's still gonna hurt just as bad. Yeah. Um, all right, mate, that is going to wrap us up. So give us your overall thoughts. Now we've gone through the core missions and the things people need to know. Hopefully that has been very informative for you guys, brought you guys a little bit up to speed. I will be doing episodes on terrain once I learn a bit more about, uh, well, I kind of trading water and hopefully that it will get a, a day one FAQ to iron some things out. But I will definitely be doing an episode on the missions and how you play your missions. And I'll be looking and reviewing um all the different, you know, secondary cards and all the primary mission cards and stuff like that and giving thoughts there. But, mate, thoughts on the core rules now we're going through. There are some problem pieces, but I feel like they're very easy to discern. So I'm hoping GW is quick on the, the button getting them fixed. Yeah, I, I hope that they do. Um, my final thoughts here, honestly, is that I'm overall pretty happy. I think that this is um, a net positive. I think this is a net good core books. I, the the one thing that I think I don't like, besides the fact that devastating wounds and anti has the potential to be too strong, yes. it's honestly a data sheet problem, not yeah, a exactly not a core rule problem. I'm just afraid of the potential. The only core rule problem that I have is with how charge moves and pile and consolidate moves are conducted. I feel like it's in their attempts to remove tricks, they have made it feel worse for most players. I, I think agree. they've removed tricks from. 5% of the competitive player population, and now half of the game is going to be terrified of rolling too high on a charge. I, you're exactly right. I think there was already so many failure points in the charge phase, not making your charge, you know, not killing the unit, rolling unders, rolling over, defensive stratagems, heroic interventions, fights first, fights last, all these things, that it didn't need rolling high to also be a failure point. <laughs> you can now roll too low and too high on a charge. <laughs> <laughs> what a world who would have thought this would be an issue um order the first instinct i have and i'm not going to hold back is that uh shooting got better by dint of i believe the the charge phase the fight phase getting demonstrably worse yeah we'll, we'll have I, to see what terrain is like correct in uh 
10th edition, and especially what the new standard becomes, because I think that's going to be really important as well. Exactly right. And GW has gone to a lot of lengths to say that Rend has reduced, and a lot more things are going to be getting cover. So hopefully we are more robust against the shooting. But as soon as I look at this, I'm like, oh man, I don't think I ever want to play a mono melee army. It, it, I mean, I, I, I always like having a couple guns in an army. I, yeah. It looks unlikely to change. But man, we have, we've, we've got so many mono melee armies. I mean, world eaters. What are you, yeah, you're going to have to find some new buns to push. And I do believe they are there. Like, 100%, just kill them all, doesn't matter. It's still going to be an option. Um, but yeah, just just on face value, with very little context, I'm not going to be demonic or super down about it, but just gut feel is that we're going to have to find some new tricks in the combat phase, because there is still there is some jank there, there is still some things to do, um, and everyone likes to get stuck in, but it is the obvious phase that has gotten worse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is the big one that, that screams out to me, it's like this got a little bit, a little bit worse. Fair enough, mate. Thank you very much for joining us. Please feel free to plug your wares on the way out. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this, hopefully you're aware of the art of war. If not, why? But if you are, <laughs> make sure you check out our YouTube channel. Please give us a like, a subscribe, you know, share with your friends, etc. Here's the important thing. We are putting a ton of content on our YouTube channel, going very in-depth with 10th edition. We are getting ready for the indexes that Games Workshop has indicated are coming soon. As soon as they do, in fact, come out, we're going to have a ton of live content on our channel, and you're really going to want to go there and check it out. As well, we are actually running a free trial in The War Room. If you go to thewarroom.vhx.tv, we are already starting to put some 10th edition content up as these core rules have come out. And again, as we get all of these new indexes that GW has promised, guaranteed we will put a lot of content in The War Room as well. So if you want to get some high-level 40k, if you want to check out some stuff on our YouTube channel, now is a great time to do it because it's an exciting time to play 40k. Absolutely, man. More than anything else, and I, I, I apologize I've left this doom and gloom. This is not a doom and gloom. This is just a change of the of the, the scales of things. And I think there will be a great reckoning and balance, and things will find their natural level as we go. And yeah, I'm super excited about this 10th edition. I, I really like what I'm seeing, especially I, a, a lot of people are, are, are quizzical and down on the missions. I can't freaking wait for some more chaos in the missions. Let's go. Let's flip some cards and see, you know, see who believes in their Yu-Gi-Oh a bit harder. <laughs> let's go. I can't, I can't freaking wait, man. Let, let, it's going to be spicy. Um, I want some dramatic, like, moments. So, like, and yeah, ninth edition missions. I got a little, I got a little bored. I want some crazy stuff going on. Let's do it. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us again, mate. You've been an absolute gem as always. Please join us over on part two, where me and uh, the lovely Anthony Vanilla will be answering all your wonderful patron questions. You can find that over on Patreon at Art of War down under. All right, mate. Say good night. Enjoy the rest of your day, brother. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.